0: Uh, here, uh before we get into the word, um, I want to remind you uh, about this upcoming revival, and I can't really stress that enough and i I thank God for our anniversary weekend to be in December and one of the reasons I thank God for that is how we can spiritually end the year and prepare our hearts to uh, you know project us to the right position, right direction in the upcoming year. So uh, this afternoon, uh, what we will be sending out to you is going to be fast and prayer uh, relay uh, sign-up sheet. So there will be, beginning tomorrow, morning breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner slots available, the portions of the time that you could spend some time uh, fasting and praying uh, to ready your hearts uh, to receive what God has in store for you. Now, those of you who do dishes, right? What do you use? You use sponge, right? Now, when you pick up a dry sponge, what happens? When you put a detergent on it, or you turn the water on, you know what happens? When it's bone dry, the water runs off. Water just completely runs off. If your heart is dry, You haven't been in tune with God and been in prayer and prayerfully prepared your soil, your heart, to receive what God has in store for you. It's going to run off. But then when you pick up a sponge that is wet, moist, when you put that on, the detergent goes in. Water sips in. And every time I do dishes, it reminds me of that. Bone dry, you have to run it in under the water and you have to squeeze it. You have to force that in. We have three opportunities for God to plant the seed that you need to grow. To bear the fruit that He desires. Not only in this month, but also in coming, upcoming New Year. So, I want you to consider one, <clears throat> excuse me, one or two slots of the week for you uh, to invest your time in the Word, in prayer, so that your heart will be moist and saturated for the Word, for the Spirit, to impart the greater, deeper blessing that will penetrate your heart. Amen? So what's the point of, for us to design something and gather um, together just to have another event, another opportunity, another revival? That's not what we want. We really want to desire uh God to bless us. Now, when you pray, pray obviously for yourself first. Your heart first. Pray for one another then. Pray for the guest speaker. For the guest uh, who might be joining us. For his glory uh, to be evident in your life through the change and transformation that you can notice. So I really... I encourage you to take one or two spots and take that appointment seriously and that will condition your heart. Amen? All right, with that being said, let's turn to Nehemiah. Once again, we're back to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. Nehemiah 6, verse 1 through 14. If you're there, would you all stand and let's receive the word of God. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at uh, Hecapim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing great, great, doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalad for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So, now come and let us make counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hand will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hand. Now when I went into the house of Shemiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple where they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what men such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah? and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. May we, with open, humble heart, receive your word. Be with your servant. Teach us your will, your truth. And as we uh, humble ourselves, and as we are teachable, listening, yearning, longing for your truth. We thank you so much in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Maybe may be seated. So we're back uh, to Nehemiah. Mm. And now we are on chapter six, first portion of it. Now, it's been long and difficult, argued several months for Nehemiah and the people in order for them to rebuild this wall. And now finally it says in verse one, what do we see? The report. The progress. What's the progress? There was no gap. No breach. So the wall, close to two mile long wall, is now completely filled in. It's all running through, uh, in its entirety for two miles. Only thing there was, uh, only thing that was left to do was what? The gates. The doors need to go in. Now when this progress, this news reached the enemy, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem decided to push for one final attempt. They want to do something. And to keep Nehemiah and the people from completing the war. So you can imagine how desperate they have been. When they he- heard this news, they're about to be done. Because they really didn't think that Nehemiah was able to do this. They really didn't think that people can pull this off. They tried, um, all these threats, whether it's emotional, psychological, uh, physical attacks and rumors and whatnot, they throw at them. They were able to make steady progress and now they are here. And they're panicking. It's going to get done. And out of sheer desperation, they're going to make one final push, final task. And this time, they're going to solely focus on the leader, Nehemiah. Just Nehemiah alone. And what they're going to do is, is, they're thinking that if they could just only remove Nehemiah out of this project, Nothing will get done. It's not going to get complete. Or, or, or at least damage his reputation, damage his credibility as a leader in Israel, then there might be a chance that the work will be halted and it's not going to get complete. And therefore, discouraging the people. So here in chapter six, Nehemiah will account in 14 verses three different ways that they are coming at Nehemiah. Three different ways. Each way is a little different. But all three was were designed to destroy uh, the life itself or his effectiveness or his reputation in order to stop the work. So once again, in chapter six, we see Nehemiah facing his enemy. But as we will see, as he has done repeatedly up this point, Nehemiah would do that same thing that he has done over and over up to this point. That would be turning to God. Turning to God for his wisdom. Turning to God for his strength. And he will not be swayed, we will see, by his emotion. He's not going to be swayed by his raw emotion of what they're doing. And he's not going to overwhelm, be overwhelmed by frustration. We're gonna see that. And that's what he displayed over and over in the previous chapters. He's gonna d- d- display that once again. And I tell you, that is a distinctive characteristic, distinctive mark of a spiritually stable When outside attack happens, you don't engage the enemy, but you fall to your knee, you go to God, you lean on God for His wisdom and His strength. And that raw emotion, because we are flesh, because we are emotional beings, whatever we have, we don't act on it. We don't react. We don't let the anger and frustration get the better of us, but we become stable, solidly standing on the foundation, we become, we are remaining as a spiritual, stable person. That is critical each and every one of us in whatever capacity you are leading. Now here comes the first challenge. And it comes in the form of pretty polite, friendly invitation. On the surface, it really seems... Harmless, quite harmless. In verse 2, Sambalad and Geshem sent me this message. Nehemiah says, They sent me message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Let's just get together, meet. Let's talk. Now, when you read it on the surface, does it sound confrontational, offensive, or does it sound pretty... Reasonable, it's polite, even friendly in some ways. Let's meet together. Hey, come on down. Hang out. It, it sounds pretty harmless, right? And this plain of Ono is located about 20 miles north of Jerusalem and it's like a, like a resort area. It's like a, you can imagine like, Napa Valley type of thing, like a resort, nice area. And what they're saying is that, hey, Nehemiah, you've been working so hard, nonstop, since you came as a governor for nearly for 60 days, about 50 some odd days, and you've been working hard, and you, for God's sake, you are a governor, but you are working beside your people laying bricks. Come, hang out. Let's talk. I know we have some differences. I know some misunderstanding there there might be. Let's get together and talk. It certainly sounds pretty harmless. But this is what Nehemiah said in verse 2. What does he say? He says no. He says oh no to oh no. Okay at least you laughed that mission accomplished <laughs> Now Nehemiah somehow knew what they're trying to do Somehow I don't know how but somehow Nehemiah knows immediately what were they going to do what are their motives In verse 2 Nehemiah says they were scheming to harm me they were intent they intended to harm me. How did he know this? It's like he had a Spider-Man, you know, spider sense. Like as the punch comes in, you know, that sense, you know, I'm not the only one knows about spider sense, right? That tingly feeling that it just, he reacts. He just jumps off and then, you know, attach himself to the wall or something, right? Like he knew. Like he had that sixth sense kicked in immediately and he knew what they were going to do. What's their intention? What's their motive? To harm me, yes, they were his enemies. no doubt about that, yes, in the past, they uh, rid- ridicule his vision, the work, and the people's effort, make fun of it. Yes, they threw in many threats and attacks psychological psychological, emotional, physical attacks, and they have done it yet. Wall is almost done. Only thing they have to do is put the doors. So one could think, one could argue that maybe they realize, you know, what we tried everything we have, but then nothing is working. The wall is just steadily progress to the point where it is. It's going to be completed. Why fight this? Let's turn to diplomacy. Let's sit and talk. I, I you know. They're about to accept this this wall to be here forever. Maybe they want to renegotiate this, reestablish this relationship. Nehemiah could have understood this invitation, doubt, right? It's on. Unre- I mean, it's reasonable for us to think that way. The enemy is finally accepting the wall. Okay, we tried, we failed, we accept that. Let's start over. We started on the wrong foot, and we want to begin with the uh, you know, just fresh new relationship. Nehemiah could have perceived the invitation in this regard, however, Nehemiah didn't. Like I said earlier, that sixth sense kicked in. Nehemiah's that that spidey, Spidey sense kicked in, and as he saw the invitation right away, right away, immediately in verse 2, he says, Something's off. They're going to harm me. It's not right. And I call it six sense or you know, um, spider sense, whatever, right? But biblically, there's a name for it. You know what that is? It's called discern. It's called discern. As a leader. One must live a life of discernment. As a leader, this is a quality that we must seek to possess because discernment allows you to read between the lines. Discernment allows you to act wisely, act accordingly, decide properly in the given situation. You can see it for what it is and cut right through it. You don't panic, you don't get angry, you see it for what it is, and you act properly. That's discernment. And Nehemiah received that discernment from God and utilized that discernment, and he said to himself, if I accept this invitation, if I go to the resort area, if I have a cup of whatever and hang out with them, what happens? They will capture me and kill me. And therefore, the work will stop. And if I get destroyed, the work, the wall, will inevitably permanently be destroyed. So Nehemiah saw right through it. And with his sermon, he wisely replied to their invitation. What's his his response in verse 3? I am carrying on a great project. And I cannot go down. I'm occupied. I'm busy. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? He's going to just put it on the work. I'm busy. I'm attempting the great work. It cannot stop. So I can't meet with you guys. So that is a firm, very firm no to the invitation. Yet his enemies will not give up. In verse 4, what does it say? How many times? Four times. Same message. Come on down. Hang out with us. Come to the resort. Let's have a good time. Let's talk it out. Time after time after time. And each time, what's the message? He responded. He answered them in the same manner. This is the example of Nehemiah's internal fortitude. Now, even though you had the sermon and you saw right through it, and you made the proper response to the to whatever circumstance that you are in, but that circumstance insists upon you it's happening over and over and over and over, and your mind, as you think about it more and more as you you know lay in bed and middle of the night, everything dark, but your brain is on and it's working, and it's just run it, and as you think that. Why is this happening over and over? Is this something that I need to look into? Should I just respond? and Should I go and check it out? You know? Sometimes we do that to ourselves. If it is clear black and white, if it is just Lord with that initial God, that Lord's spirit, uh, the spirit that we have spoke to you exactly what needs to be done. And by the way, because your heart was moist and saturated and you turned to God in all things, you lean on God and you not lean on your emotion, but you have done that with His wisdom, His strength, and you only reveal your emotion, your frustration to God, there is no reason to doubt your initial discernment. You know what I'm saying? There is no reason to doubt. You stand firm. And such stability and security can only come from God and spending time with God. And as you rely on God and His God-given wisdom to discern, see the situation for what it is. If it is a trap, you see it for what it is and you avoid it. Now, first attack. Four different times. Now, his enemy wouldn't give up. In verse 5, Nehemiah says, for the fifth time, Sam the sent his aide to me with the same message. Come down to, oh no, let's meet and talk. But this time, in his hand, in the messenger's hand, there was an unsealed letter. There is an open letter. So, if I'm the head of the state and I'm sending him, to another head of the state, when I sent a message, it's a secure message. Right? There's a stamp. But this time, it comes with open, unsealed letter. So the messenger, I don't know, could take the letter out and read it. People who are, you know, guarding, oh, I'm the messenger of the enemy, But here's the letter. Oh, it's open. What is it about? They could potentially open it and read it. How interesting. It's not sealed. It's not secret. They are not doing the work they need to do to keep the matter private. Keep that in mind. Now, what is the open letter about? Look at verse 6 and 7. Sambalat was accusing Nehemiah in verse 6 and 7. Now this is what Sambalet said. It is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. I guess Geshem says it, then it must be true, right? That you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king, and you also have set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Judah. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. What are they saying in this letter? In this open letter, unsealed letter, what, what, what's their intention? What's the point of the letter? I'm going to let you know the truth. I was going to keep this matter private, but you declined all my invitations. I had no option but to reveal this. And I'm going to expose you for who you are, how evil, how deceiving you have been. First, you had an evil motive to come here as a governor and build this wall. Why? You wanted to defend your people and rebel with your people against the king. And you yourself, secondly, not just build the wall to rebel, revolt with your people, but you want to become a king. And that's why you already uh, um, confirm with the prophets. You prepare your prophets to proclaim you as a king. We know all about your plan. We all know this. The nations know this. Geshem knows this. So if you don't come down and talk to us, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let this be. Now, this is open. And there is reason why that letter was unsealed. So that's how it can spread. Church, you know what you, what you call this? This letter? This, in itself, is a rumor. This is rumor. Rumor is what they chose to use this time. And when you deal with rumors, you have to understand, rumors come with the two critical components. The first component is the source of rumor, is that source of rumor is never declared. The story is, is never clear. Now, Sambalud vaguely, look at verse 6, vaguely said, it is reported among the nations. Who are these people? You're saying all the nations around Jerusalem would know this. Like, they all know this. Geshem knows this. It's like a common knowledge now. He's suggesting that this story that he is telling here. Is widely known among the people. And I tell you this is credible. And people. The majority will find. What I say. To be credible. Look at how sources. Is. Where, where is the source? Is there an exact person? Is there an evidence? shred or truth? No. It is report You know someone said this. I went there and I heard. This is how rumors start. This is how it goes. I heard from this person, this has been doing, been done here and there. And what happens? Oh, that must be true. And you imagine the words and you can create a story like this. Yet there is no clear source. There is no truth. No real observation, evidence of the claim. The second question uh, characteristic second component of the rumor is this it usually rumor usually is inaccurate and when you hear it it's greatly exaggerated that's what happened yes it contains some kernel of truth right what's the truth in this he built the wall he came to build the wall that is true right what's another truth he did talk to prophets. Why? Because as we will see, he will, through the prophets, they will throw a dedication service. What God has done and they're going to gather together, recognize God's blessing, God's grace upon that, and throw a service. And he already contacted the prophets to plan for service such as this. Those are truths. But then what other things? From that kernel of truth he will pop it like a popcorn. And as that rumor passed from one person to the other, you know what? It pops and pops, and it gathers and adds more things. It exaggerates, and it mutates from the truth, the intention of the build, the purpose of Nehemiah coming, and all of those are skewed. And one of the component not only it exaggerates and uh, it's inaccurate, it actually mutates and it it does that so fast. It spreads. Now, did I mention it is an open letter? The people know this. People heard about it. What do you think the people were saying? I don't know how widely known. The thing is, but then if the person heard, people hear about this, then they'll be like, is this why he came as a governor? He manipulated the king and he got this position and came and he built the wall, not for us, but for himself so that he could prepare us to, you know, revolt against the king. And he wants to become a king. And you know what? The king, the real king in Persia. Artaxerxes, when he finds out what, you know what's going to happen? He's going to send his troops. He's going to destroy the wall. He's going to annihilate all of us, or take some of us back to be slaves. Is that too far-fetched? Reaction? No. If you heard it, if this is this becomes a public knowledge, then what happens? That's going to be the reaction. You don't have to be that sharp to know this will happen. This is what Nehemiah was faced with. It's a huge dilemma. So if you want to avoid this, you better come. You should accept our invitation and come and speak to it. So if he doesn't go, this rumor he's going to do in his power to spread it. He will send his spies and spread the rumor. But because he is, if he is afraid of this rumor taking any root and spread among people, if he goes, what happens? If Nehemiah goes to Ono, then what happens? He will be captured and killed, and the work, the wall, will be finished, permanent. This is a classic no-win situation. Nobody wins. I mean, in terms of Nehemiah, no option is good option when you think about it, this is a pretty clever thing to do from his enemy. What would you do if you were in issue? Would you go sit down, try to dispute all the points? I have not done this, I have not done this I'm innocent i'm I'm blameless. You want to find out how widely spread, you know, uh, this rumor is? So you send your people and do that? Would you go? This is how Nehemiah responded to this open letter containing, obviously, accusations built upon lie in verse 8. This is very simple to the point no such thing no such things as you say whatever you just said in that open letter no such thing have been done here no such thing for you are inventing these things out of your own mind he just calmly denies nope that whatever you just said is not happening and he just said you're making it up you are making it up. He will put the blame right back to them. This is a lie. Has no basis. And then what does he do in verse 9? He prayed. He prayed. He knew what they were doing. And he says, they were trying to scare my people, scare me so that ultimately they would discourage us from doing the work and the work will not be finished. So he prayed, oh God, strengthen my hand. Strengthen me. Give me courage. You know, I don't care how strong of a person you might be. When you are faced with unfair, baseless rumors or accusations such as this, you'll be affected. You'll be hurt by it. And personally, I have not, in my personal life, I have not experienced this. But in our, my professional life, as a pastor, rumors, accusations, baseless claims, and stories about me, and stories about my wife, I have experienced it. And I tell you, it, it sucks the joy, life out of you. Because it's not true. And as you, here from those concerned people, Pastor, this is going on. What will you do? Shouldn't you address this? And those who have really good intentions, caring and delivering these messages, these informing me of the rumors or accusations that is just kind of spreading, and they themselves don't even know how widely spread. You know what happens to me? They're not helping. Let me just say it, it even intensified, exacerbate my heart. It is a hard thing for you to endure. What you must do when you are faced with lies, accusations, rumors that are built upon lies. You have to face it, yet you cannot approach it in the manner that you want to go toe to toe with them, just like Nehemiah did up to this point. You can face it in the way that they are—they want to want you to get down and dirty, be dirty. You have to maintain your posture to tell them that is not. Free. If you have known me and experienced what I'm about. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to dispel. I don't have to dispute any of these things. They are not true. Enough said. Enough said. You don't have to do more. And you turn to God. But most importantly, you need to pray. You move on from that and you pray to God and say, remember them, Lord. Remember what they're doing. You tell God and remember them. In other words, Punish them, handle them accordingly. You don't do that, let God do it. You see something is off, you, you are, uh, you are troubled by certain things and it is not true of you, but they are making stories up. Do not act immediately. Do not try to handle with your hand. Unless God makes it abundantly clear in certain times. Because the Lord, Will make sure that the truth will prevail in the end because it always does, I'm telling you it always does. There is one final attack on Nehemiah now, what Nehemiah did in this time, Nehemiah went to this person's house and he uh, checked on this individual and his name here is Shemiah. Why did he go to? This person's house, we don't know. It's not really talked about. But Nehemiah was busy and occupied, obviously. But he had time um, to go and visit his fellow countrymen. Because this is not an individual outside the wall, right? This is a guy inside the wall. So he went and visited with them. And this is what the man says to Nehemiah. What does he say? Let us meet in the house of God. Let us go inside the house, inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors. Why? Because the men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. What's happening here? In this final form of attack, his enemy, this time not from outside, but inside the wall, are trying to instill fear in Nehemiah. What is he saying? Nehemiah, I, I'm I'm worried for you. I'm concerned for you. Visit me. So he came. You know what? Let's go. I heard. I heard. So they I heard. And there's no reason, those source, nothing. I'm worried for you. We need to go to temple. We need to lock the door. We need to stay there. And I'm going to stay there with you because men are coming to kill you by night. You're so important. You're so instrumental for this great project. And I cannot let you die. It's like Peter saying to the Lord, Lord, I can't let you take on the cross. I won't let that happen, right? You know what Jesus said? Peter? Get behind the face. But Nehemiah responded. In verse 11 and 12. Should such a man as I run away? And what a man such as I could go into the temple and live. And I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. Again, that spider sent. Sixth sense. The, this sermon kicks in, right? This guy is not for me. He's not sent from God. But he was hired. He had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Zambalet had hired him. Again, his sermon kicked in. And how quickly Nehemiah saw right through it, this guy is not from God. He was hired by his enemies. I don't know how he knew, other than God's wisdom, spirit, revealing the truth. He knew. Yet, there are some signs. When you deal with certain situations, certain people, you can right away sense something is off. Because in this case, he, this guy was suggesting Nehemiah to hide in the temple, lock the door in the temple. And Nehemiah said, this is sin. Why is it sin? It's sin because only priests are allowed to go in and stay in the temple sanctuary. And if Nehemiah to go in and hide in the temple as the guy, this guy suggested, then he would not only disobey God, but he would desecrate God's holy temple. And therefore, consequently, Nehemiah will display his lack of trust to God, his confidence in him, and he's going to demonstrate that to his people, and that will greatly discredit his leadership. His reputation, his name, will be taint. Yet Nehemiah saw right through it their evil skin and did not fall into their trap. And this fear that they are trying to instill in his heart, What does he do in verse 14? He prayed once again. Oh my God, remember these. Remember these enemies. God, deal with them. You punish them for what they have done. Folks, completion of the wall is very next verse. The later chapter in verse 6, the wall is going to be done. The gates are going to be installed and it will be done. And you're going to see that. But for Nehemiah to get there, to complete this enormous project in just about 60 days, that was possible because of this characteristic that, that Nehemiah had. And he displays it again in this text, how he possessed and utilized this extraordinary wisdom, the sermon that he had for him to see it for what it is and act accordingly. And how he courageously faced the rumor, accusation, lies, and this fear, and he overcome all of them. And how he finally turned to God every time in prayer, not only to seek his will, but to express his state of emotion. He repeats Folks, as we live our lives here on earth and I tell you in this world as we attempt to do fulfill our God-given responsibility, the task that He has given to us in our lives. When you look at it, who is not faced with opposition? Who is not faced with opposition? And as you take on this task, who is not afraid sometimes? Who is not frustrated, who is not disturbed and disappointed, who is not weary and tired. Who is not? We all are. Yet that is precisely when we need to turn to God. Rely and lean on Him. That is when we need to remind ourselves the wisdom that we need to seek after, the strength we need to seek after, discernment, not worldly. Counsel, not from men but from God. We need to remind ourselves we really understand who we are now and forever in Jesus Christ. That inner strength and fortitude. And that is when we need to just lean on His everlasting arm and trust in His ways. Because the work will be completed. What He has begun in you, He will finish. He will work. Amen? He will get that done. He will surely do that. So next time we gather, not this coming Sunday, we're going to see the dedication. We're going to see the work finally being done. And there will be a time for them to have another spiritual rebuilding that will occur in Nehemiah. But we are looking forward to our own spiritual revival this coming weekend. And I want you to have that wise discernment in you and sort of an application of this is for you to see it, this opportunity for what it is. For your scheduling, for your priorities, for what it is. And put God first so that you will receive what you can do, what you truly need at this point of your life. So, Worship starts at 7:30. I want you to be here and prepare your heart, ready your heart. I know some of your house churches uh, might be uh, spending time with the guest speaker, and that will be uh, arranged and announced soon. Um, those of you can not will come out and have meal with Pastor Don and make your way here on Friday night and Saturday night. But if you're not, you won't be able to join. Or you're not part of that particular group, that particular night. So come early and expectantly prepare your heart for God to give you the blessing that that you need. And that is wisdom. That is the discernment that you need in order for you to make that decision to, for you to receive what God had envisioned for you to uh, really be. Blessed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You. We thank You for um, the way that You taught us through this book, through Your servant Nehemiah. Father, we recognize how evil uh, our enemies can be, how relentless they may be with the task that You have given to them. Father, whether it's being uh, Your God-called god called a position for us to serve You as a leader, as servants for Your body. As we are called to be husband, father, wife and mother, sons and daughters. As You have given us earthly responsibility with our employer, the jobs that we have received to bring glory to You. In all things, would You help us to understand the enemy is there to attack us. To walk away from our responsibility. To compromise. And bend the truth. Father, I pray that we, as we lean on You, and as we come on our knees to pray, Lord, we pray that you will give us that wisdom, the strength we need, especially the sermon that we need to see for what it is and decide for your glory and your honor as your people. Give us that strength. Father, I pray that our uh, week will be spent wisely as we spend time with your word and prayer so that we will be blessed in this upcoming revival. We desire you to fill us with your things. We desire our hearts be realign with you. We humbly open our hearts, knowing that we're not perfect, knowing that there are a sanctification, the growth, the maturity that needs to occur in our walk with you. So Father, as we humbly approach you, for your word to penetrate and pierce through the ah, deepest part of our heart. I pray that we will be teachable, we'll receive your training and correction with willing, amen, for you to work in our lives. Father, we look forward to this week and this week, and I pray that you would just bless each and every one of us as they spend time with you. Father, I pray that you will protect them and walk beside beside them closely, before them and with them. And I pray that you would just truly bless us together as a church. We pray for your blessing. We give you many things. And you are truly good. And we give you glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.